Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, good morning. Welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. I'm your host, Emily Bouchard, and I am coming to you from Northern California. My partner and uh, co-host, Jamie Traeger-Muni, is recovering from eight months of treatment for breast cancer, and we're looking forward to having her come back after her hiatus. She's doing great in Israel. And today we are really excited. We have an amazing guest. Uh, so glad he's here from another international country from Canada. We have Dr. Tom Deans, author of the Wow, all-time best-selling family business book, Every Family's Business, and also a newer book called Willing Wisdom. We're here to talk about that book in particular on uh, wills and why we don't have them and why we need them. And just a little bit about Tom. He uh, does speaking engagements and uh, international lectures all over uh, 500 conventions and seminars. He uh, speaks about um, the whole concept of family and money and uh, he says that family has emerged as the greatest economic driver of all time, but the question remains, how can wealth be transferred successfully without destroying the recipient and the wealth itself, which is, of course, why we're having this conversation. Here at Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media, we are all about shifting our relationship to money and wealth so that people can live and lead truly rich lives, no matter how much money is in their bank account and where their families can stay unified and connected, and that those arguments around money don't tear people apart. So uh, we are going to have a great conversation with Dr. Deans. He's a distinguished career in banking. He was the CEO of a multinational corporation for a decade, president of a railway, and chairman of his local hospital foundation. Uh, he's been featured in numerous magazines and on uh, other shows a little bit uh, all over. So, Tom, welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about uh, your book, Willing Wisdom. Can you tell us why you wrote this book? We're going to start off with that. What was your passion about writing Willing Wisdom, and why did you do this? Well, first of all, Emily, what a pleasure to be here. And uh, uh, just to let your uh, your viewers know, I'm in southern Canada. So uh, it's not quite snowing, but it will be in about eight weeks. So the sun is <laughs> Great to see you. And, uh, and i got to tell you, I was so excited about doing this show because I, I know a little bit about you and about your organization, and I know that our messages are really, really in sync. Um, so I, let's get started. I, I really wrote this book, like any author uh, who writes a book, to convince myself of an idea, not my readers. And I, I always like to make that point very clear up front. I, I think when people are absolutely certain of something, they write tedious books. They write boring books or pretentious books. And, uh, and I know you've read the book, and I know you can probably attest to it. it it's, it's not pretentious. It's accessible. Yeah. And I'm trying to convince myself of a simple, simple edict, and that is that families who can talk about money 
who can collaborate on their wills will um, enrich and deepen their relationships. And um, and so, you know, I'm I'm 51 years old. I have a will, but my will is constantly evolving. So I'm trying to work through in my own space uh, how it is that I'm going to transition the wealth that has been entrusted to me by my grandparents and my great grandparents. So um, it's very much a lot of. I think a lot of successful people. Uh, that is one of the big questions that they have that they live in, and they really don't know how. And I love how accessible your book is. It makes it so it's a very conversational uh, exploration around what has people stay up at night, or what has people really wondering and pondering. You know, especially when they've shifted to more money management and next career after they've really been successful in building their career. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Emily. And and in, in, in as much as the book is Socratic, right? It has it has seven questions. So alarmingly, it has no answers. <laughs> but it has seven, seven great questions that everyone can ask themselves and their family to start conversations to probe and explore what is right for them. And I can tell you what's right for you and what's right for the viewers will be completely different than, than what's right for me. And I think that has where estate planning, in many respects, has gone off the rails. We've, yeah. we've tried to um, you know, develop products that kind of fit uh, everyone, and, and it really lets families down. And I think it lets down financial institutions. So I'm coming at it very different, not preachy, um, not making assumptions, starting with some questions to, to, to get the family to gather around that proverbial campfire. I'm going to use that expression because I, cause I, uh, I really mean that. Uh, too often we think that family meetings have to take place in stuffy boardrooms. That was my experience growing up, mm-hmm. and I don't think it has to be. I think families can get at this subject of wealth and aging and, and convalescing and ultimately dying in, in scenarios that are, um, bless you, that are, bless you, you've got one more. Hopefully not. I think I'm all right. <laughs> Thanks. But I think we can do it. We can have these conversations around the campfire. It doesn't have to be formal. Uh, and the best the best conversations are the ones that are that are truly partnerships and family. So it's not the person with the money who's old and dying, who's got the power and the control and dictates that this is the way it's going to be. I'm looking for something more democratic, dem, uh, democratic, something that's more accessible for the entire family to feel as partners. And it's that partnership that I think is going to lead, uh, hopefully, most people to a to a great will, a great last chapter of their lives because they're going to experience it. Uh, with their their family and their friends. Well, that's now, a great great place to do a little station identification. We're here at Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. We're talking with Dr. Tom Deans, author of this great book, Willing Wisdom. And we are going to launch into our next segment on uh, what does it mean to be reciprocal in terms of how you have a conversation about wills, because that really struck me in your book. Yeah. Well, let me answer that that question by um, by kind of picking up where I where I just left off because okay. it really does fit. I um, you know, I was giving in my first book when it was launched. I was giving a speech. Uh, it was in Las Vegas, actually, and the message of that book is: don't gift your business to your children. If they want it, they need to buy it. So it's this important idea of risking capital to transition a business. Oh, and, you uh, are. That, I can imagine that that stirs up a lot of feathers when you're having those conversations because there's a lot no. of uh, you know estate planning strategies on how to transfer the wealth and gift over time. And there's a lot of advisors who make a lot of money by doing a different thing than what you've just said. So this is good. I'm, I'm excited you're exploring a different way people could go with it. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. And there are lots of people who think that, you know, the goal of succession planning is to make the business last at any cost. And so I come along and I say, absolutely not. In fact, the real goal is to find the end of the business before the end finds you. In other words, businesses have life cycles. And so what I'm saying is sell the business. If your children don't want to buy the business, then you need to sell it to someone else and then pass the wealth. Now, it was and it's that much, last it's much smarter to do that when you're still involved in it and and you can really look at the valuation. I think a lot of people so strongly identify with the businesses that they've created that the concept of selling it is uh, it's almost like dealing with their own mortality, which I think is one of the things we, you're saying in this book as well, is people really need to have a good sense of how to deal with their death, their will, their their end of life, as they, as they really strategize about what the, how they're going to live their lives. Well, you're absolutely right, Emily, because what they do is they import the language of the family and refer to their business as their baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what, I come along and say, so what I come along and say is, in fact, no, your family, your baby, your children who are now grown adults are your family, and your business is over here. It's this thing that it's an instrument of wealth creation. Don't confuse the two. And what I'm saying is uh, your, you know, your legacy is not your business. Businesses come and go. And quite frankly, in 100 years or 50 years, people aren't going to remember you as the founder of XYZ uh, company. Okay, that's they're going to remember you as the father of someone who uh, passed on a wisdom and wealth that created opportunities for the next generation. Your legacy is not a business and a building with a name on it. It's your family. It's your DNA. And, yeah, and getting business owners to shift their thinking to the family is uh, is really uh, the subject of the second book. And well, so when I was in when I was in Las Vegas, Vegas, yeah. Well, when I was in Vegas. Uh, you know, a woman came up at the end. I was signing books, and she came up and she said, "I just disagree profoundly with what you've said." I, in fact, she was a little bit annoyed and angry. Animated would be um, a subtle way of putting it. And I said, well, first of all, I was I was completely honored because anyone who has the confidence to come up and disagree with a speaker means the speaker has earned their fee. They've challenged the audience. They haven't peddled the same old thing. They've really gotten into someone's consciousness. So she's there and she's saying, look, um, you're saying I need to sell my business and pass my wealth. My business is worth $10 million. I've got two children. Are you suggesting that $5 million to each of my children uh, is what I should do. I mean, that's too much money. Oh that my God! My she interpreted so, that to mean that. That's really good that she asked that question because that I could cause that would cause a lot of mischief if people really misinterpreted your message to say that. Well, exactly. I mean, so I'm saying, uh, you know, what she was basically saying is her children didn't want to buy the business. So it was leaving her in her own mind to sell the business and then pass the wealth to the children, which she felt uncomfortable doing. So I was really put on the spot, and I, you know, I thought, I've got to write this book. I've got to write another book to answer this looming problem. We have the greatest generation of wealth creators in the history of civilization as business owners in America who have created more wealth than anyone else ever. And they're struggling with their succession plans. Why? Because they're actually feeling more comfortable in thrusting the business into the hands of children as opposed to leaving them vast amounts of cash. In other words, the business feels like it's the right thing to transition because at least the kids are going to have to work at that. Whereas wealth, man, boy, they can just, uh, they'll have nothing to do. They can just become spendthrifts and off they go. It will destroy my family. So, so it's a real problem. So that's why I wrote this second book, Willing Wisdom, to offer families a new set of questions so that they can start to figure out how much and to whom they should leave their money and when. Uh, and if they can answer that, then they can deal with business. They can transition the business after they have written their will. No will, no business succession plan. I, I guarantee it. I've met tens of thousands 
of business owners who don't have wills. They don't have wills. I yeah. asked my audience, I do conventions, I did a convention in Chicago, a thousand people in the audience. I asked the people who had a will to put up their hand, half the audience. Half the audience of business owners had no will. So in other words, what we have is we know that we're going to see close to $8 trillion transition be inherited over the next 20 years. And half of those people, half of the wealth holders have no will. $4 trillion in the next 20 years will transfer via the public trustee deciding, the government, the state, deciding who will get someone's wealth. It is bizarre. I, I, I can't imagine how it is that we've found ourselves as a culture, as a society, with 125 million American adults without a will. Well, I think that's interesting because you Something's actually broken. are imagining it. When I when I read the book, you, you actually dive pretty uh, curiously, really looking at, okay, what is it that causes somebody to not have a will? What is it that has somebody know that this is a good thing to have and yet not do it? And it really is about... Uh, you know, one of the pieces that struck me when I was reading the book that had me say, oh, do we need to have a conversation and bring it forward is this idea of uh, how do you um, express what you want, what you care about, what your concerns are, and do it face-to-face with your loved ones, listen to what their concerns are, what they care about, and do it in a reciprocal fashion. And, you know, really bringing that conversation alive and there's no way you can do it if you haven't come to peace and to a place of I feel okay about my mortality right now. If I die tomorrow, I really feel like I'm ready. And nobody seems to be living that way. Yeah. And yeah. nobody's really having those conversations in any kind of effective way. And that's what this book really tees up for people. Well, I, well, I think that's certainly what I, I set out to do is to get people excited about their will. Now, that seems a little bizarre, but I, I mean, I don't know about you, Emily, but when I buy my, you know, someone in my family a gift for their birthday, um, and I give it some thought, and I nail it, I, it's something they need, it's something they want, I know it's something they'll like, and if I buy this gift a couple of weeks before their birthday, it kills me not to give it to them right away. Like, I'm so excited, right? I'm so excited. It's like, you know, someone opening that present, you're just standing around, you just, you just want to see that look on their face. Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get people to imagine that their entire life's body of work, all of their assets, their homes, their investments, all of those things represent as a, a metaphor of a present. How can we muster that same excitement to leave those gifts? not just to one person, but to our community and other family members. How can we generate that same excitement about giving and leaving something to someone that needs something that can take our wealth and continue our life's work? That can only happen through a conversation. And, uh, and it can only happen in a, collabor- in a collaborative way, viewing a will as a collective work of art, not something that we write in secret with our lawyer and then, uh, die holding it a secret and then having our family learn in a cold, austere lawyer's office about what the contents of the will says, I'm saying make it a, a living, breathing, collective work of art today. Mm-hmm. Not that it can't change, but that we can learn and reciprocate. I think people who write wills in isolation miss the, miss the forest for the trees. I think when, we're, when we engage our potential beneficiaries and ask them what they would do with the money, we have the potential to learn right up until the moment we die. And that's what makes uh, death and, uh, I think, palatable 
because it's a collaborative journey. Well, I think a lot of people might agree with